so welcome back. You found Beards Creek Podcast once again, and today I am um, I'm really excited. I get to be joined by our resident forester, one of our resident foresters, Emily, and uh, her roommate and probably your best friend, right, Anna? Yeah, none of my other friends listen to the podcast. You can say that. <laughs> so Anna, we just call her Anna Banana, which I'm sure everybody called you that growing up probably. Oh, yeah, but, when I was younger. <laughs> so Anna um, was Emily's roommate, right? No, did you guys ever room together? You did it mm. after in your last two years of ESF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, Anna and, and Emily, tell us a little bit about Anna. Let's, Because everybody knows Emily, but... Tell us a little bit about how you got to know each other uh, and what you guys do in the, you know, in terms of your jobs. We'll get started with there because people are wondering, why is Anna on this podcast? <laughs> I know where this begins. <laughs> uh, so Anna and I went to ranger school together, but the summer before ranger school, I had a boy slide in my DMs who was going to ranger school <laughs> and uh, knew Anna and we got talking and he introduced me to Anna. So Anna and I became Instagram and Snapchat friends before we had ever even met. And then the first day of ranger school, mom and I were like unpacking into my room and Anna comes around the corner and she's like, hi, and we immediately <laughs> hugged and it was our first time meeting. Um, and you now, can go from there. Anna, yeah. you didn't go to ESF though, right? Your first year. No, I went to community college my first year, okay. um, which was a great decision. And that's when I uh, decided about ranger school. I learned about ranger school, what it was. And I knew about ESF ahead of time. But when I found ranger school, my parents and I visited um, on our own before. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I just <throat> fell in love with it. And I knew I wanted to go. And when... Uh, Emily reached out to me. I was excited to know that there was another female going. And when I met her, I was just so excited because we had, you know, created this connection ahead of time and we were instant friends. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. So when did you know that you wanted to do stuff in the outdoors? Like, how did that come about? Oh, very early on. Uh, my my dad owns 80 acres uh, out in western New York mm-hmm. and uh, near the Jamestown. And yeah, don't get more specific than that. We have, we have stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, we he took me out hunting when I was younger, and uh, we went on a horseshoe or not horseshoe. Um, we went snowshoeing um, yep. in the winter time, and he taught me animal tracks and and uh, tree species, and that's kind of my first introduction to the outdoors in just you know my own backyard. Yeah. And then when I went, you know, I was in high school, you know, what are you going to do in college? What are you going to go for? And I wasn't quite sure, but I took this one class in high school that was called field science. Mm -hmm. And I learned tree species and their scientific names. I learned bird calls and uh, a little bit of tracking. Um, And I just loved it so much. I loved learning tree species. Like that was the one thing that stood out to me so much. And I just found it so fascinating. (laughs) Can you you give us a bird call? and dendro, did you do okay? Yeah, yeah, I did great. Uh, <laughs> How about you, Emily? I did great. Yeah? You yeah. still remember all your Latin? It helped having friends and other people who knew the trees to study with. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this high school class that I took, field science, definitely gave me a leg up when I went to ranger school and had to learn all those species because I had already had, you know, definitely the major ones, yep. you know, sugar maple and red oak, you know, those things. I had already know, knew those scientific names so that was that was a great head start and so i knew i wanted to do something outdoors after taking that class found the ranger school loved that but i had no idea the vast uh environmental field that was out there yeah uh immediately i i thought i wanted to be a forest ranger and i think that's a very common misconception Mm -hmm. that that's the field that you go into if you want to do forestry but it's so much more widespread than that and that was something that i i learned at ranger school i'm so glad i did yeah yeah so you guys worked together one summer Mm -hmm. um and what were you what were you doing uh in that summer well i'm gonna back up a second okay so we were supposed to start that job right after ranger school and they came to interview um there was her and i and i think two other people Mm -hmm. who interviewed and it was supposed to be one employee for three summers to do this project and they interviewed both anna and i and couldn't decide which one of us to hire so they hired us both (laughs) (laughs) yep and we ended up doing it not the summer right after range school but the following summer 
just because COVID. Oh, really? There was a, a year of ESF in there? Mm-hmm. Wow. I guess yep. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So what were we doing? Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys do? We Besides worked. drink wine and <laughs> visit in uh, the dump. Fort jo- uh, not Lake George, where we, you Old were in Forge. Old Forge. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we worked for the Adirondack League Club, which I've mentioned a few times on here, and it's a private hunting and fishing club. And they have about 53,000 acres that they needed inventory to rewrite their management plan. Yeah. So that was our job was yep. um, inventorying. Yep, and there were about 3,000 plots that Emily um, and I did along with our boss. And uh, we cranked it out in the whole summer, just one wow. summer. And it was meant to be, you know, one person for three summers. And we did it all in one. Mm-hmm. And that was great. And the first month of that, we actually were on... So the club was split into two properties and one of the properties was very remote and was like an hour away from Old Forge. And we would, most people get there by boat, but we were able to drive in. And so that first month we inventoried that section of the property and we would spend like Monday through Friday in this cabin, just the two of us with no internet, no cell service. Our boss would go home at night, but we had to stay there and... They would pay for our food, and so it was just Anna and I hanging out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it was That's pretty so fun. That's so cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, we have like, so the people that listen to our podcast. We have people that are like foresters and, and forest management, and they're into that. And then I, you know, I was talked to this week by somebody who listened. I was like, I learned more during that last podcast, the one that you wouldn't want to listen to because Charlie was on. Um, I just had too many things to correct. Yeah, about what he said. <laughs> but. Um, what he was learning was because Charlie broke some of that down. So for the listeners, break down what a stand is. Remind them, you know, so if you did 3,000 stands, or plots rather, mm-hmm. um, what's the difference maybe between a plot and a stand? And then what were you inventory? What do you, what do you do? I mean, I know, you know, angle gauge and prism and all that, but explain some of that of what you guys were, were doing with those things. Sure. Well, uh, a forest is made up of trees, of course, and huh. there's there's different um, <laughs> there's different sections of the forest that have different uh, growing sites and different species that grow better on a wet site or a north facing slope yep. or that sort of thing. So you break up a forest into stands, which are um, more homogeneous areas of similar species, similar size, uh, and quality. Yeah, and, and, and does that have it has some to do with uh, with ground conditions too, the soil conditions and, and nutrients or sandy or loam, that kind of thing too gets figured into some of that as well because that impacts what species are growing mm-hmm. too, yes. right? Yes, okay. yeah. Um, some species grow better in wet sites. Some species grow better in acidic soil. So yeah. it all depends on um, soil conditions, site, and, um, and ultimately the species that grow there. And okay. some of it's based on the history of the land like if there was a microburst and you have all of these pioneer species like fire cherry that came in after a disturbance that's factored into it as well or different management activities Mm -hmm. that that have happened on that site uh you know was there a a shelter wood or a clear cut that happened Mm -hmm. so many years ago that's going to be broken up into a different stand because of that management activity okay i was yeah i was i guess i'm surprised was there mechanical disturbance there prior i mean has there been like other than um, you know a tornado or a um, microburst, mm-hmm. has there been cutting and, and clearing and stuff? Oh yeah, yes. Okay. They they're pretty active um, with their harvesting and management. Okay. And when we were inventorying, we would sometimes walk into some of these cuts, and it's just crazy, like clear cut and lots and lots of thorns. <laughs> we, <laughs> we definitely learned a lot about um, different management because we saw. All the stages. The progression yep. of a forest and how it grows because they had been doing it for so many years that, you know, there's, I walked into a recent clear cut that they had done the year before. And I also saw one uh, from three years ago mm-hmm. and one from 10 years ago. So to see that progression, you learn a lot about tree growth yep. and management, how to best manage for certain species, what's going to come up, you know, briars, what briars do to regeneration. Um, so we learned a lot, not just about the plots, but also about tree growth yeah. and uh, forest mor- morphology. And, and the seed tree cuttings, like we could see the overhead store, the over 
wow, I can't speak today, the overstory that was left standing and then beneath it was all of this dense regeneration. Like they were saplings, they were like above our heads that you just had to walk through and to see that and they explained how they would cut the overstory eventually and you'd have these yeah. uneven stages of growth. And you know, for me, most of my background is habitat management as opposed to forestry and I know that you know, Charlie and I were going back and forth, and you and I have gone back and forth. But you were managing primarily for forest health, right? But that, yeah. I mean, you weren't necessarily managing for for deer or turkey or... No, it was factored in, though. Like, we, I wrote a plan back at ESF about, about what regeneration looks like and the impact of deer yeah. on the regeneration there. Um, and they had... Like they had food plots that were put in mm -hmm. um, and they had like deer exclosures where you could see the difference in regeneration. Yeah, yeah. So being a private hunting and fishing club, it was definitely written in their plan and taken into consideration. Yeah. But because my, my point is, is that not as much as it could have been. We, we think of forest management, but that is profoundly impact on, on deer. That's, that's deer habitat. I mean, you walk through and you see those seedlings and saplings and everything else that are nipped off because of the deer and you see them, uh, you know, if it's, if it's too compact, too much, too high a stem count, you know, it affects Turkey and that kind of thing. But, um, it, I think in general, good forest management also is good habitat management. They're, they're very, they can be very similar. Yeah. I mean, an unhealthy forest is going to have a lot of beach in it and a hmm. forest that is not well managed for deer is going to have a lot of beach in it like that's what they were finding was most of what they had coming back was beach because of the heavy browsing from yeah. deer yeah mm -hmm. okay so we know the difference now between stands and plots and what were you surveying we didn't talk about plots Okay, tell us the difference. Well, between. you know the difference. <laughs> well, I thought we covered well, that. Anna covered that, I thought. I, I, I covered what a stand is. Okay. Um, so a, a plot is uh, basically a specific point that a forester or forest technician will go to and uh, the surrounding trees you will inventory. So you'll measure their diameter, their species, um, their height, uh, typically for merchantable height, yep. and um, defect. Um, so there's, imagine, you know, a forest property or a map, and then there's a grid of plot points that we will mm -hmm. walk to and specifically measure those, those points. Um, so you get a, an overall uh, measurement of the forest, and you can break up stands based on what you find in those plots. Mm. So doing a whole grid of plots on a large property, you can break it up into more manageable units, which are stands. Okay, cool. And what you're doing now with Forcon, mm -hmm. are you, is it plot or stand or both? What are you, I mean, <laughs> are you using the plots to create the stands to then send uh, people out to cruise those areas or? Yep, so generally uh, when we get a management unit, so a, a large property, uh, the first thing that we're, we'll do is there'll be a grid layout of plots. Right. So, um, so we don't, we often don't go into a property knowing what's out there. Mm -hmm. The plots, the inventory is, is how we know what's out there. And then uh, we come back and using those plots, we will outline stands. So we'll okay. create a stand map and, and I've done that too uh, based on um, an area of plots that I've done. I then break it up into stands and we make an official stand map and then that's where the management will yeah. go from there. Is he, are you doing that all in GIS or are you? Um, we do it on paper maps initially okay. and then it will, uh, we submit that to our GIS department and they will create stand maps. We have a whole department. Yes. <laughs> that to me is, um, that that's hell. If I go to hell, it's going to be to work in the GIS department. I do department. a lot of GIS, and there's so much that I don't even know how to oh, do. Gosh. So then you um, you give your employees a or, or your team um, a GPS, right, and that map. You send them out, mm -hmm. and they are now going to survey. Yes, the GPS uh, is a handheld unit that has the data collection on it, 
and also a map of all the plot points. Okay. So you can um, turn, uh, you can click on an application that will take you to a map that has the plot point. So you can click on a specific point. It will navigate you to that point, tell you how close you are, and then you, um, you know, you take your point. Uh, collect all your data right onto that handheld device. That's nice. Yep. And then we can upload that file with all of our data right onto the computer onto a program called TwoDog that will then create, um, it will uh, compile everyone's data and Mm -hmm. create a outline of what is on that property based on the data that we've collected that day. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, an average day, what do you, what do they cover? How many plots do they normally cover? It depends on uh, <clears throat> the area that we're doing. Also, different um, prisms, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, like a there's. Typically, we use two different types. One is a ten factor yep. um, prism or a ten BAF, and one is a twenty factor or ten BA or twenty BAF, and. The 20 BAF prism will have less trees because it's a greater angle, um, and so you're you're measuring less trees. Those will go a lot faster, uh, whereas a 10 BAF um, that's going to have more trees in your plot. So you're you're measuring more trees, you're collecting more data. Yeah. Um, it's more specific. So and that's that's basal area factor. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's what. Bad. Yeah. BAF. Yeah. yeah. Basal area factor. So. <clears throat> Uh, typically, you know, with a 10 BAF, I think Emily and I at the Adirondack League Club, we were doing about 20 plots a day. In a 10-hour day. In a, yep, in a 10-hour day. Um, I do about that uh, at 4Con, I think, between 20 and 30. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, the more experience you have, of course, the plots are going to go faster. You get your routine down, and, and you can do more plots. Um, so, it's it, you know, it takes time to work up to that number, but... Yeah, yep, and it depends on what you're recording and how in depth your data collection is. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and how much you're factors. winging it and guessing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get to the point where you're like, all right, that one's in. That one is. Well, you have to be more precise because Forcon is more yeah, strict for, on it. Forcons, um, we have a great. Uh, we, we come up with great data because we're so specific in our data and mm-hmm. we, of course, get audited and um, we make sure that everyone's on the same page and we have some of the best data out there in the forestry field because we're so precise. Yeah. Wow. So who hires Forcon? Like, uh, um, are you... Uh, um, are you working with the Forest Service? Are you working in a municipal, you know, like Emily works for the county. Are you working for... Uh, private individuals who does forecon work for you get this great data who does mm-hmm. that yeah so we can uh, benefit a lot of different um uh, types of people one is private landowners mm-hmm. so you have um you know 50 acres in your backyard 100 acres and and you're an individual landowner you can hire forecon to uh tell you what's on the property and write a management plan mm-hmm. or you can um do harvests to uh get you know money for your timber or you can hire them for land management and uh hunting management so we we do a lot of lot with private landowners um we have a big portion of our uh of our company does timo lands or management properties that um, companies will buy uh forest land and will go in and do the full management there um from inventory to the timber harvest. Oh, you'll do? Yep. Okay. So uh, a lot of what I do is marking timber for timber harvest. So I put the paint on the trees uh, with, you know, a big crew, and we uh, we measure every tree that we mark so that we know the exact value that we're getting there. Mm-hmm. And then um, those markings on the trees will tell the loggers which trees to cut, which trees to leave, and uh, to better manage that, that forest. Yeah. Um, we also have worked with... Uh, the city of Salamanca. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done uh, an inventory and management for them. Um, and the Forest Service will hire us to do inventory for them. Currently, um, <clears throat> currently I'm doing uh, CSE plots for the Forest Service. Um, common stand exam is what they stand for. A very in-depth um, plot that takes a lot of data that uh, the Forest Service will use for management activities there, but wow. but Forcon they they contract us out to do those plots. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And is there um, uh, 
I don't, I'm, my brain just skipped a beat. I don't even remember what I was going to ask on part of that. Don't look at me. I can't read your mind. I know. Well, there's <laughs> not much to read there, but I was going to, so you do have, you have a logging crew then within Forcon. Uh, no, we are strictly uh, forest management, okay. uh, forest consulting. Okay. So, um, but we will sell timber that we've marked. Okay. So to um, oftentimes... Loggers can, or logging companies can buy our mm-hmm. harvests. Uh, I think most of the time we sell to sawmills that okay. will then hire. They'll hire, yeah. yeah. Or uh, um, sometimes there's logging crews that work with sawmills and directly, yeah. and then they will buy the timber that we've marked. Some of that stuff gets real confusing, right? Because the duration, contract duration, because there's such a fluctuation in, in market price on on. Uh, different timber like we caught it when uh when i sold our hickory um we we got a really good price on it and then this year if you look i mean there was a lot that was a lot of was down different from hickory and even oak was down at some points and um my brother-in-law sold um he contracted had a forester come through and painted all you know marked the trees he had two years to follow through on that um, the forester or the logger did, and it was all black cherry. But I think he, you know, it was so down wasn't it? Yeah, it was down. But they had already paid my brother-in-law, mm-hmm. so he didn't take the loss. But the you know they did. But there was also the the other piece was that um, we went through and marked the the trunks of each tree before they cut them down because there was an issue. With this specific cutter, there was rumor that he was not. Had the original forester not marked both the stump and? No, he just did the mm. yeah, at the DBH and then. That's pretty standard practices to do two markings. Yeah, yep, yeah. we always do. Um, at least for saw timber trees, we always do three dots on the bowl of the tree, and we mm-hmm. do two stump spots oh, because cool. it's like an insurance policy. Yeah, you're making sure that those trees are cut if yep. they have a stump spot. And then in your uh, management stuff, do you determine where those skitter roads are going to go in, or do you allow the landowner, or do you allow let the logger, or are you already gone on to the next job by that point? Uh, oftentimes, there's there's pretty continuous management on those properties that there are already uh, skid trails, yeah. and so we reuse those a lot of the times and okay. make sure that the BMPs or best management practices are up to date, yeah. um, mostly with um water bars water bars yeah, yeah. that's funny uh, we were talking about water bars a couple of weeks ago yeah and i made that same face i'm thinking water yeah. emily goes water bars i don't know yeah. why <laughs> that just doesn't <laughs> stick but and you had to go back and check because somebody didn't do one yeah on there one was a harvest done oh it was a couple of years ago but cleanup hadn't happened and this was like right when i had gotten hired cleanup hadn't happened yet because it had been so wet that they couldn't get in there and smooth out the roads and there were ruts everywhere so i met with the guy who was out there cleaning up because they don't get their bond back from the county until we sign off saying that the lot has been cleaned up appropriately so he put in a couple water bars but the soils around us are just such heavy clays and it's just soaking wet like all the time so he put in a couple water bars and um that was all good, but then I got to the other side of the property and he hadn't even touched the ruts over there. So I had to call him back and say, hey, are you done? Like, you're not done yet. And he had to make another trip out. And I mean, that's money for them that they lose on fuel and sure. transportation. Yeah. But I ran into, um, actually, he's a friend of mine, but he's the guy that I had timber our, our stuff here. And, um, and I was telling him because we did a, a I got to be careful knowing that Emily's here. We did a clear cut. Not by acreage size, but it's cleared um, <clears throat> this winter. And we timbered it, cut it, and then, it, like, the ground never really froze solid. So we were just playing in the mud. And he was saying the same thing. He said it was the worst winter he's ever encountered in cutting in 40 years because it just never – he said, but now it's dry. We've had this this dry spell. He's just gone in and been able to knock those, those ruts out, and you would never know anybody was in there. So – Mm-hmm. But, all right so enough about your forestry stuff tell me a little bit about um what it's like to what it's like to be a woman what's it like to be a woman <laughs> what in is your, a woman? <laughs> what is a woman what's it like to be a woman in this field i mean you, most people don't think of 
of women traipsing around the woods and marking trees and you know you guys did it all throughout the adirondack wilderness and uh for a summer and now we're doing it as part of your profession what is that what is that like i mean is there do you do you get looks people thinking you're crazy boyfriends do they feel like they can't match up with you because you're these beastly women what is uh i kind of like that there's very few women in this field it makes it more fun in a lot of ways but i'm very thankful to have found anna who is in the same position and same interests that doesn't really answer your question but that's my opinion on women forestry and there's no other women that work with on your team other than the the office no there's just one secretary but i'm also the only forestry person in my office yeah um there's a few foresters with the DEC that I've met. Okay. But. And then, Anna, are there women, other women at Forcon? Uh, yeah, there's a few. We're definitely the minority. Um, but coming into Forcon, there was one uh, forester who was the manager of an office. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has since moved on to the Forest Service. Um, but she was a very hard worker. And then there was one forest technician. And um, she incredibly hard worker i was i was striving to match up with her when i first started Hmm. and um and since you know i think i'm pretty uh i can compete with pretty much everyone else on the crew and you know we we work together really well you know the guys and everyone and uh you know i never felt like I was being looked down on for being a woman in at Forcon, yeah. you know, immediately, especially since they had had experience with other women that were such strong workers. Um, you know, I felt immediately welcomed and uh, they were excited to have me as much as I was excited to be there. That's good. And the, the woman forest technician uh, that I had mentioned, she, um, <laughs> she's now, I think eight months pregnant <laughs> and she has been working outside uh, d- just doing the same thing that everyone else is doing out there. Um, it was pretty, pretty fun to, to watch her keep working and, you know, also, uh, be this strong woman, uh, that, you know, do what women do and, and carry children, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's empowering. It's, uh, inspirational to see her work. Too. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And, Correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you don't remember this, but I think when we worked at ALC with Kyle, I remember Kyle was our boss. I remember him saying that he was thankful that he hired two girls because we were a lot more driven and harder workers than if he had hired guys. We didn't screw around. We treated him like a boss more than, I think, having hired two college-aged men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Coming could, in that could be, uh-huh. regularly hungover, and yeah, you you run into treating him of that. like one of the boys. We didn't yeah. treat him like that. Yeah, <laughs> and you guys lived together when you did. You were working at ALC, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And you had a it's a, like a house there on the property. Yeah, and but it's at the gate. It was at right. It was mm-hmm. at the front yeah, gate. Yeah, it was at the gatehouse. And somebody else was working the gate, like you were kind of weirdly living with somebody else who wasn't really living there kind of thing, if yeah. I remember right. Yeah. It was kind of a weird situation. We joke all the time about the ceilings because we were in the upstairs and there were three different carpets. Like the stairs were green, <laughs> the carpet in my room was blue, and the carpet in Anna's room was red. And it's like all right next to each other, but the ceilings were so slanted that you'd wake up in the morning and smack your head on the ceiling and... Yeah, it was uh, living in an attic basically <laughs> yeah. for a summer. Yeah. Um, but it was still an, you know, a nice little place for us to be, and it was. and having each other there was definitely uh, such a blessing because I don't think I could have done that summer without mm-hmm. Emily. Yeah, that's that's cool. That'll mm-hmm. be um, that'll be something I think you guys will remember for a long time. I, I mean, can't you wait really to tell yeah, my I'll kids never about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be like, "You did what?" <laughs> um. So I know a little bit about you, Anna, just because, I, you know, you've been around our family and we've come up to visit or, or at, you know, ALC. Or, and I know um, I'm taking a complete right turn now. But um, so Emily, when you guys were at Ranger School, Emily would, you know, was looking for a church and you would go to a church one week with her and then you would go to a mass, right? Somewhere you'd find a mass to go to on occasion. 
Is it, am I getting this mixed up that you guys? Uh, would... I only went with her once at Ranger School. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, has that so? I mean, they're both they're Catholic and Protestant, or they're both they're Christian. Um, how have you guys? Um, inter- how did you interact with your faith? How have you shared your faith together? Maybe even where have you? Where do you see? Um, your faith and your career in the outdoors kind of coming together? Where do they meet up? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I've been so excited. Um, or I found it so rewarding talking with Emily about our faith because we love bonding over our Christian roots. Yeah. And um, along with that, j- just because we're different denominations, right. you know, we find way more, vast more similarities than we do differences. But we like to sometimes focus on those differences and, and figure out why. And and so it's been just a great conversation point um, with us mm-hmm. since our uh, friendship began. And, you know, even at Ranger School, uh, we talked about it. And then definitely when we were at ALC mm-hmm. in the Adirondacks, uh, we, you know, I went to Methodist masses and she went to some Catholic masses. Um, and, 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 you know, every time I, I come here and visit Emily, you know, I, I go to church with you guys and whenever whenever she comes to my house, uh, she, she comes with me and my family. So, um, that's, it's it's not often that you find people that, that have, you know, that are, that are even willing to share their faith or to, or to express it, you know, and Mm -hmm. for the two of you to be able to have those conversations is, I grew up Catholic. And mm-hmm. so, and if I wasn't a free Methodist pastor, I'd probably go back to the Catholic Church. So Emily's always asking me, "Well, what do I do here? What do I, <laughs> yeah? How do I? Can I take? Can I receive Eucharist?" I'm like, "No, but you can go and get receive a blessing." She goes, "Well, that just feels weird." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about that, but in a lot of ways, it helps us to grow in our own faiths yeah. because you know when I ask you a question about mass and you don't know the answer, it pushes you to go and find out why. And same goes oh, for yeah. me. I ask you questions about like well why do we do this or why do we believe that and i think Mm -hmm. it's helped us to grow by exploring those differences yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely and emily uh when when we met uh she was very open about her faith immediately and and i grew up catholic um but not until recent years have i really dived deep into my faith Mm -hmm. so and i think a, a big part of that is my friendship with emily because uh, she has inspired me to grow closer to the Lord than hmm. I ever have before, and um, it's been a, a great. We've we've grown together and definitely strengthened each other. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I probably ought to, because this is going to start sounding like you two are dating. <laughs> <laughs> so Anna, you have a boyfriend, a longtime boyfriend. Yes. Emily, you have a not as longtime boyfriend. We're calling him a boyfriend now, right? Yes, he's a boyfriend. <laughs> he's going <laughs> to so, listen to this. <laughs> just so everybody listening knows that this is not um, And some... he does have the three Cs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Anna, you're wearing a, a necklace of a patron saint. I am wearing the necklace of Mary. Uh-huh. Um, she's uh, the mother of Jesus. Yep. And um, I find her to be incredibly protecting and motherly so i have um my grandpa gave me this necklace and nice and um i haven't taken it off in quite a while so well my eyes are horrible so i'm thinking oh i'm gonna learn something about you know maybe it's saint francis he's the saint of you know patron saint of like animals and creatures and (laughs) nope it's i was wondering where you were going with. i was just curious i wanted to learn something new about a new patron saint of forester (laughs) well i can tell you something um uh, i think a misconception about catholics is that we worship mary yes yeah and um so just because i'm wearing her medal around my neck um you know we we honor her you know she is the mother of god and uh we believe that she is the queen of heaven and that's incredibly powerful you know she was born without um what's it called (laughs) cut this part out no i'm trying to remember because i know exactly what you're talking about and i don't it's not that she was born without sin but it was it's she was born without like yeah the sin that we're born with. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. I'll, I'll come. I'll get it. Yeah, it's okay. I'll Capitalist. Get it. So no, it's it's a different. It's yeah. Um, so we we hold her to 
you know, yeah, you venerate. We we honor we honor her in in so many ways because you know she, you know we look at our own mothers and and we love them so much and they have raised us you know to who we are today and and for Mary to fast to raise yeah. God you yeah. know it, as Jesus is just so incredible and we we just honor her and and love her as our own mother. Yep. Um. So. But that is not to be. Like like you said, the misconception is, oh, we worship Mary. No, no we don't. We no. honor her. We worship God. We worship um, God. That's and, right. You know, period. Yeah. Yep. But but we honor Mary because she is the mother of God, and, and yeah. we believe that she is the queen of heaven. So yep. um, she holds a special place in our hearts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. I, should I have asked anything else that I didn't ask? Do you think of any glaring Oh, well, one thing uh, we didn't really answer that you asked was, you know, how do we, uh, how does our faith oh, yeah, and yeah. our work meet? Um, well, I can speak to that. Just, you know, grew up loving the forest and knowing that it's God's creation. So incredible. Um, learning more about forestry has has opened me up more to God's creation and yeah. how incredible it really is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, from specific ways on how trees work to the vast uh, forests of the whole world and and working in it every day. You know, I'm outside every single day. Uh, being immersed in his perfect creation is mm. incredible to see, uh, especially here in New York where we see the changes of seasons and how everything is just so thought out and perfect. It, it points to a creator. Yes, yes. So uh, it highlights it so much and for me. And being out there, I am in um, consciousness of him and his creation. Yeah. Um, I also, when I'm working, I right now I'm doing those, those plots for the Forest Service. And I'm alone all day long. Hmm. Um, and so I... Often my focus is on my work, uh, but I incorporate prayer into my day, or mm. I incorporate um, thoughts of of God into my day, um, because, like I said, I'm immersed in it. I'm, yeah. It's right in front of my yeah. face, so I, I appreciate and I I pray, and and sometimes my day can feel very repetitive or mundane when I'm when I'm going through these plots. You know, it's it's very repetitive you know, from plot to plot, day to day. Uh, but when my focus is on him, it makes everything yeah, just come together. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who, even if they don't have a faith, um, when they spend time in the woods, will say that, like, I experience God more in the outdoors than I do in a church. And for me, like, when I see creation and see the vastness of it, and I share this with my Young Life kids a lot, um, you know, you look out at the horizon and you see all of the treetops or you see a mountain or you see even just one singular tree and you look at the detail that went into creating it. Like every individual leaf on every branch is so unique in its own way. And to think that God created that and said it is good and then created us as humans to be far more loved and far more perfect than these trees. And how detailed are we? How unique? Yeah. And created with purpose are we yeah i i think often like the order and the organization of nature um that's you know when you think of what it takes for a tree to grow and i think i sent you the video of of the water you know that i posted something like that on my forest you can't push it it doesn't you know there's a is there a vacuum created what allows that water to get up and and to move and then you get through the the different layers and the um you know, all that just goes into a single tree, just the ordering of that, you're like, man, there's got to be some, there has to be an intelligent designer behind all of this, a, a creator who, it's not just random chaos that caused this kind of spectacular order. So, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm closer to God when I'm, when I'm outside and in, in the outdoors, um, and I think there's a lot of people that feel that. Those people that are willing to go out. There's a, I'm a, I'm always amazed at how many people are afraid to 
go into the woods. Like, oh, there's lions and tigers and bears, and you're going to get eaten. And, you know, you tell them, oh, I'm going to my deer stand. And, well, you had a flashlight, right? No, I don't ever take a flashlight. What? You can't do that. That's crazy. Yeah, even going through my bear fears, like I was talking to someone about it, and they're like, well, that's not irrational. Like, that, you should be afraid. Like, why would you want to go back out there? I'm like, well, because I love it, and it's yeah. something that's a part of my life, and I don't want to be afraid right. of it <laughs> and and did you die <laughs> no they ran the bears run did you have any bear encounters other have, than at the dump <laughs> <laughs> i have yet to have a bear encounter in the woods really? no i've yeah. seen so many even coming home from your house i'm like please take the bears i, <laughs> I would love to see one out there i i look Sometimes I'm like, oh man, is that a bear? And it's just a squirrel running around. I have this theory because even Gabe has seen them out in the woods. Uh-huh. I think you must be like extra loud stomping around through the I woods. I probably am. <laughs> Let me ask you, at any point while working at ALC, did you call home and just talk for hours and hours <laughs> with your family or listen, sing music loud I because you were worried so. about the bears? <laughs> no, um, that was traumatic. Okay, that was traumatic. Um, no, I mean, I think Emily, uh, happened to be in better service areas than I ever was. Cause I, I only yeah. made a couple phone calls when I was there, but, um, you get up on a mountain and you get some service. <laughs> yeah. What, what's, um, what's the biggest challenge for you, for either, both of you for your jobs? Like what has been the, the, the hardest part of your jobs? For me, it's been working very independently like when i got my job i didn't realize how much responsibility would be put on me and there's not a lot of pressure because the county doesn't seem to care but i'm not working under a forester like i have Mm -hmm. knowledge and experience but i'm fresh out of school and i'm making a lot of decisions independently and nobody else in my office has much knowledge about forestry so i feel like i'm kind of set loose and don't have a lot of guidance or like I, I learn a lot about other environmental things like stream work and agriculture, but unless I'm going to a specific training for forestry, I don't feel like I'm growing more and like gaining knowledge from somebody who has way more experience than I do. Yeah, yeah. And that's tough. Hmm. That definitely contrasts with my work environment because I'm surrounded by forestry professionals um, on many levels. Uh, we have a bigger crew of forest technicians and then we have a a few foresters that uh are above us and then even um, are you a forest i am a forest tech yes um we have a couple levels of forest technician a few levels of forester um we have a civil culturalist and uh, gis technicians so we are pretty encompassing um company that uh so because we have a lot of projects that we work on so we have a lot of uh, employees that help and a crew of people that mark timber or a crew of people that do plots and inventory. Um, so that has been a good environment for me to really hone in on uh, my skill set with, uh, you know, plots or, yeah, you know, yeah. specific things that I'm doing during the day, uh, which I've, I've really enjoyed learning and and growing in that way and trying to hone in on those forestry skills um because i knew it would make me a better forester yeah um i would say uh my biggest struggle was um i guess on that note is is really getting specific and really accurate with my data Mm. i I had a difficult time when i first started at forcon um being as accurate as they wanted me to (laughs) and uh, but you definitely you get used to it, and then you, it's yeah, it's just you know, it's what's expected, and yeah, that's what, yeah, and you learn, and and that's what you do. And um, I would say biggest struggle is the physical nature of my job. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm always outside, always hiking where there's no trails, always bushwhacking yep. um, through all seasons. So. You learn definitely learn what to wear on certain days. Yeah. Um, but and, also, and bush monkey is real. It's yes. all real life yes. stuff, isn't it? Uh, and you know, of course, they're pushing us for higher production, not number of plots per day. Uh, how many board foot board feet can you mark per day? Um, which is understandable. That's how you run a yeah. business. Yeah. Um, and naturally, I'm pretty competitive, so I want to have better numbers. You know. Uh, 
more plots. Uh, so, you know, I'm pushing myself to, and so it's, you know, I'm running through the woods all day, sometimes yeah. physically actually running <laughs> from tree to tree, <laughs> plot to plot. So uh, I enjoy it in a sense in that way, but it's also very sometimes difficult. You know, it takes a toll yeah. on your body and I'm, I'm young. Yeah. So, and there's some guys out there and not pregnant and not pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's the time to do this part of it. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm in great shape and part of that is because of my job. Um, but you know, some people are older and have families and, and they're running low on energy and they're doing the same thing I am. So, you know, it's yeah. definitely takes a physical toll. Will you, uh, will you try to work towards, um, being a forester? Are you in SAF? Um, I am not currently in SAF. Okay. Uh, Forcon definitely has connections with SAF, and our foresters are involved directly with them. Uh, the forest technicians, um, I think we could we could definitely independently. Uh, mm-hmm. There's have a new a, forest tech certification through SAF now. Oh, interesting. Okay, just came out. Yeah, definitely something to look into. Um, but as I grow with the company, uh, which I I think I will um, continue to excel and grow here yeah i will hopefully grow into a being a forester and okay. you know as i as i grow up and age and get better at my <laughs> yeah. job uh, <laughs> really as you start slowing down you, you <laughs> yeah. go. my knees start start to hurt a little bit more i start to do a little more office yeah, it's work it's funny foresters make less money or make more money but do less work yeah <laughs> at least less work outside that's more, right more right. work on the computer yeah. um yeah we'll be snapchatting through the day and you're sending me pictures in the woods and i'm sitting at my desk yeah. <laughs> like, oh i feel like i'm not working hard <laughs> wow well that's good um there was one other question I was thinking. Oh, when you're measuring board feet, right? Mm-hmm. What are you using? Are you using a Biltmore? Are you using? Are you just taking height? What are you using to? Yeah. So board footage is a measurement of volume. So what do you yeah. need for volume? You need a diameter and a height. So oh. for the diameter, we use a, a D tape diameter tape. And then clinometer. Um, we will use a laser to okay. judge heights, but you also get an eye for height. Yeah. So oftentimes, you know, you have parts on a tree and and when you measure diameter it's at four and a half feet so you have kind of that that measurement of four and a half feet and you can um extrapolate towards a merchantable height and then you get an eye for it, a skilled eye so that i can look at a tree and immediately go you know that's one log that's two logs one and a half you know whatever so charlie and i were talking two weeks ago about it and that's uh, Mm -hmm. you know i i asked him the same question he said well we use uh the the technical term is a ocular ocular guesstimation or something like <laughs> yeah. that and, um but then we got talking about Biltmore sticks right mm-hmm. and um i mean it it looks like a yardstick feels like a yardstick smells like a yardstick and costs you a hundred bucks <laughs> i mean <laughs> yep. they're just some of that stuff is insane but it, so a laser boy that would make it a lot easier right i You're, think Go ahead. Right. Well, um, a Biltmore stick will measure diameter, but it also has a a hypsometer on it, which will measure heights. Yes. And um, so a laser uh, does heights. And that's how we kind of train ourselves or train our eye to measure Mm -hmm. heights. And and for more specific measurements, we use our laser. You know, it's it's. you know, it's one log, but it's 17 feet, yeah. you know, or, or 16. It would be a specific one log. But and what's what's standard cut for you, like a standard cut log um, for timber? Is yeah, it 16, uh, 18? Uh, 16 feet yeah. is one log. We will do half log increments. Okay. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'll put a saw dot on, you know, something that's 18 inches, but it's only got eight feet in it or half yeah, a log. Yeah. But, um, you know, and there's no, there's no limit. I mean... Yep. But trees typically, you know, I, I don't typically measure anything over, you know, four is four logs is a really tall tree yeah. merchantable oh, yeah. height. So, yeah. well, and it depends too on like how much can you actually get out of this tree? Well, if there's a lot of branches defect that are or, low yeah. or defect or splits in the tree, you're not going to get as many logs. Like mm-hmm. it could be a really tall tree, yeah. but if it splits, yep. like, oh yeah, it has several to be, times. It's, it's clear cuttings basically yeah. is what we're looking for. Um, and, and different defect on how many sides of the tree. So foresters, they're, they're measuring board footage, but it's, they're looking at the tree as a whole. They're looking at specific points on the tree yep. to make sure that 
it can be sawn on a sawmill because right. that's ultimately it's going to get it it's going to get through a sawmill and it's going to be turned into lumber so yep. we want to make sure that you can get those clear cuttings of lumber when we're marking the tree and, yeah. and making uh, a judgment on volume which is one of the reasons why scotch pine is so low in value like you just have, wanted to make sure you said scotch i said scotch <laughs> the last time i do not say scots i'm not illiterate <laughs> That made me. That, I think I stopped listening to the podcast at that point. Um, and they're the same. Well, they're so windy. Like yeah. they don't have a straight form. And if you try to run that through a mill, you're not going to get a straight board right. out of it. Well, and there's so much that can happen to it too. From uh, from dropping it when you cut it, like you can you can have a top break up. off. Yeah. You can have, and then just in the cutting period that you you, you like when we timbered. We would haul them out as you know, thirty-foot logs, and wouldn't wouldn't cut the sixteens until the the mill truck was here. And then even at that, they had dried out enough that we'd have to put in. Um, it's like a, a plastic piece that would would hold the cracks together to keep them from really splitting more. So uh, there's just a lot that goes into a lot of uh, variables that goes into marketable timber. So. Mm-hmm. A lot more than what the typical person thinks about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mostly they're just going to Home Depot going, ah, this board is all crooked. <laughs> like, well, yeah, we don't have any old growth left. And we're, you know, it's what you get when you buy pine. So, mm-hmm. Or it's really spruce, but, right? Or hemlock. I don't remember. <laughs> Whatever. It's not straight. So, well, I told you I would keep it under an hour. It was 51 minutes. So, it's um, under an hour. Yeah. So we'll wrap it up, and uh, thank you so much, Anna. I love seeing your – I wish – I should get a, some pictures for you guys because your smile is, is great. And Emily's smile is that much brighter when you're here. Oh, so. happy to see Anna. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. This yeah, is great. absolutely. And then um, when I post it, I will um, – I'll let you know. It'll be in the next week or so. But Sounds good. I told um, my parents I was doing this, so I think they're looking forward to <laughs> oh, hearing yeah. it. You're famous now. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. And as always, there's uh, there's a world full of adventure out there, especially in the woods. So get out there and enjoy it. Mm-hmm.